Hey everyone, welcome back to another season of the Diamond Hands podcast. Today, we are so excited to have Don Marie. He is the president of Illumier MD, an upcoming skincare brand that just made its way to the US. Welcome. Thank you, Leslie. Appreciate the invite. Yeah, same here. And, and um, so, you know, um, basically, guys, if you're listening and you're not seeing us on YouTube, he has the most amazing glasses on. Who made those? <laughs> Hopefully my personality is better than my glasses. We'll see. And the accent. Oh, goodness. Okay, let's go, ladies. All right. So, you know, basically, you know, I just wanted to ask you a little bit about, you know, your background, because I know you're not from the U.S., quite obviously, but a little bit about your background and tell us a little bit about your pathway and how you got to be the president of Alumi AMD. Tell us your pathway. Thanks, Leslie. Yeah, I, you know, I think I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit. I've always been very interested in business. And, um, you know, previously to Illumia AMD, I was involved in companies in technology, innovation, um, healthcare, diagnostics, nutraceuticals, uh, microbiome, etc. Mm-hmm. And um, worked with a number of U.S. organizations um, at a local level in terms of distributing in Europe and the United, United Kingdom. And through those organizations, and then I was offered the opportunity to come across to Illumia AMD, which, you know, in the beginning, when I first heard about it, I thought that you, another skincare brand, you know, uh, yeah. how many do we need, right? And how special can this opportunity be? And the more I learned about it, the more I, I, I couldn't do anything else but jump right in and get involved. So it's been an absolute dream since and joined the organization in uh, June 2016. Wow. So, you know, another question I have for you then. So, so 2016, that's, you know, quite some time. So were you always living in the U.S. or, or when did you come here, rather? No, I'm, uh, well, I'm, I'm South African born and bred. Most people don't get my accent right straight off the bat. And that's because it's been a, a little bit of a melting pot of uh, British thrown in there from my 20 years living in the United Kingdom. And so yeah. um, I we always knew that we wanted to come into the US. You know, when we launched the brand in 2016, the goal was really the the United States. And we know that this is a very competitive space. Um, You have to bring your very best efforts forward and you need to understand, you know, everything from supply chain through to product manufacturing process and being able to scale the organization for the needs of the US market. So really, I was back and forth in 2019, um, you know, visiting the US and, and prior to that doing a little bit of competitive analysis. And the, the brand launched um, towards the back end of 2019. And so I was lucky enough to be to be granted an extension to my visa, uh, even in the Trump era, uh, which was touch and go. And so I'm yeah. grateful for that. And, and really, you know, I can almost put my hand to, you know, in terms of timeline, probably January 2020 was when we when we really um, when we were really able to launch the brand and two months before COVID. So that was interesting. Oh my goodness, that is a, a really tough thing. And uh, kudos to you for being able to extend your visa. I know things are a little tough here on that one point in regards to that. So yeah, well, I, I hoped I'd be on the Bahamas uh, behind my laptop, you know, but um, and uh, and asked to to reapply. But no, it was um, I was really grateful to to receive an extension and um, and yeah, in a good position now for permanent residency. So grateful for that. 
That is really excellent. And um, so you're going to be, you know, you're going to be with us here in the United States for the long term, it seems, which is great. You've got, you've got me for life, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> yes. All right. So, you know, so South Africa, you know, uh, so you're from the same area or the same region that Elon Musk um, was from as well. His family came, um, well, the Canada, that they came here. Um so with your educational background, I know that you said that you really kind of um, focus on like systems and scaling and everything like that. If, if you were to kind of compare your education to what you would have possibly gotten here based on like, you know, people that you've met and everything, how do you think the school system that you were in really prepared you for, you know, the business challenges that you've had to overcome since 2016, because that's a long time to, to launch. Yeah, I think it depends on, on what line of work you choose to go into and, you know, various uh, executive education and postgraduate um, courses that are offered at a number of Ivy League schools or any school for that matter, an MBA or whatever it may be, or a master's in business, um, you know, they stand you in, in good stead. I, I would also caveat that and say that you know you really do sometimes learn on the job and uh, there are certain things that um, I feel um, whatever standard of education you receive unfortunately doesn't prepare you for the cut and thrust of business so if you can couple up the both of those and really be committed to your ongoing development which is also you know personal responsibility that each of us can can take and accept um, that if you can combine all those three things, they, they stand you in good stead. But certainly, I mean, for me, it's, um, it is the um, understanding how the organization creates purpose for the individuals that it serves and serve it. And if you can really communicate that vision to everyone within the organization, and you can create a platform for opportunity for others and elevate them through the process that um, the business becomes a vehicle for good, not only for its individuals, but also for other things that you choose um, that, the that the business may benefit. So, so yeah, it's really a combination of practical learnings. I think that, you know, since I've come to California, certainly the level of, um, of education is extremely high. And yeah. one of the things that surprised me was you know, when you go out for candidates and, and mid or high level recruitment and positions, you know, there is an expectation that the individual will have a bachelor's degree, et cetera. Um, and, um, you know, you referenced uh, Elon Musk, you know, even if you listen to him in some of the interviews, it's important for him that a candidate has ultimately overcome adversity at some point in their life. And so for me, I would rather hire on, on traits than skills um, for certain roles. And I think that you just need to keep an open mind. And I think that's so interesting that you said that about keeping the open mind um, when it comes to, um, you know, hiring and things, because as you said, you can go to all the Ivy League schools that you want. However, if you have not been through the trenches and you really don't understand um, what a true challenge is and interfacing with people, because interfacing with a book is one thing. <laughs> But, you know, interfacing with people and different political ideologies and, and, and being able to bridge those gaps and still build a business is something that you cannot learn in school. Yeah, no, no, for sure. I, that, that definitely deeply resonates with me and you're only as good as the team next to you, you know, and then 
I heard an interesting acronym or quote the other day. Someone was telling me that I believe it was in Google's first uh, 12 months since launch that the um, the mandate was every single person you need to bring on needs to be better than you, smarter than you, um, and you need to surround yourself and bring bring people into the organization who ultimately were able to elevate the organization. So that's not something that a lot of people are comfortable with. You know, a lot of people want to bring into into the organization individuals who potentially could serve them um, and serve the organization. And so definitely the we rather than the I is something that we're big on here at Illumi MD. And it's very much a meritocracy, which is, I think, something that you need to bake into the culture, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and, and I agree with you 100% that about surrounding yourself with people who could potentially take over from you if needed to, because it shouldn't be something that's intimidating because it's like, I, I don't like the word subordinates. I don't like, I'm like, we're all like partners. Like even, you know, I have a small team, but you, my executive assistant, she is smarter than me. Like, you know, she, she graduated in the top of her class and I'm just like, <laughs> I party, you Very know, <laughs> exactly. It was an amazing thing. So, you know, as you were kind of on this journey for yourself, um, you know, I just want to ask, um, I know that to become a president of an organization, you know, it's not a small feat, even if, because people have to respect you and, and things like that. And they have to think that, you know, you could be someone who's a visionary and can lead. So what were some of the challenges that you think you had to kind of overcome and sacrifices to kind of get to this, you know, senior position? Yeah, I think it's and it's interesting and and you know I, I think it's very much you know the leadership piece. I, I think a lot of people get it twisted. I really think that you know twenty six percent of leadership is down to leading by example. Mm-hmm. And so if you're able to if you're able to get alongside your people um, rather than send them into battle and, and and shout from from the from the the top of the fence, um, I think that that's incredibly helpful. And I would also say that you know I've always said to to the team that the results you know communicate with your results. And so, you know, for me, I think that I've been fortunate enough to have surrounded myself with great people in the company throughout who have really built the organization. And I've just been able to enable them and serve them in that journey. Um, And it's a, you know, it's, it's a tough quest. It's it's not for everyone. You know, I've got a lot of respect for people who also, um, you know, declassify or their version of success is something completely different to mine. And so, The journey's not for everyone. There are sacrifices you need to make along the way. Um, Right now, as as in most people um, with COVID, you know, I haven't seen my parents for two years, you know, and it's one of those things that, you know, you just need to, you need to balance that based on what your goals are, your your work, your life balance. Uh, Mm -hmm. That is a, um, that's a very fragile relationship, you know, but I firmly believe if you've got great people in the organization and the right people on the right seat in the bus, that, you know, you don't have to work a 70 hour week, you know, mm-hmm. and have that balance sacrifices that you make, you know, I never forget, I was in London um, speaking to someone who was really high up at UBS and, you know, I said, Simon, you know, what, what bits of advice do you have for me? And he said, you know, he said, Don, it's simple. At, at one point in my life, I just outworked everyone else. And, and, you know, I, I kind of, that's always stuck with me, but mm-hmm. I, you know, there are periods where you're going to have to be in the trenches for long periods of time. But ultimately, if you can build out a team that um, are highly effective and highly purposeful and they feel motivated and the company gives them a great home and a platform in order to express their 
um, their talent, you know, then, then ultimately, you know, you don't have to make as many sacrifices, but certainly there are some uh, along the way, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, what you said, I, I think that was really poignant when you, when you kind of touched upon that when you're at a company, you need to be able to give people like, you know, operate in their strengths, you know, and if everybody's operating in their strengths, you know, wonderful things can happen. And, and that even goes back to, you know, privately held um, Durham practices or med spa businesses or what have you. It's like, you know, micromanaging doesn't get the job done. It's like, if, if you know what people's strengths are and you kind of can evaluate that in relation to yours, you know, you can't hire the same person. Everybody can't be the same. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're drawn to ourselves, right? We're, oh, we, we like this person because, you know, they remind us of ourselves and that's always a dangerous uh, place to be, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, you know, and so another thing that you're talking about, like danger, another word that comes up in business, you know, and for the entrepreneurs listening is the word fair. And, you know, so for fair, do you think that emotion or that feeling um, is positive and how can you make it productive and manage that in business when you're trying to get to that next level you know, or you're grinding it out or you're building a team or you're doing something that you haven't ever done before. Mm, yeah, it's um, a very powerful word that, um, you know, I don't think we are the best version of ourselves when there's fear involved, you know, mm -hmm. unless maybe we're running from a bear and we need that fight or flight, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, outside of that, I really think that fear comes from possibly the unknown unknown. Mm-hmm. And if you can make those things known knowns or at least unknown knowns, it puts you in a better position to understand what's coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's driving that fear ultimately, you know, is it, is it your own personal insecurities, is it the, the environment around you? And what can you do to change that and make sure that those things which are unknown to you become, become known and you become a little bit more comfortable with those things. But ultimately, mm -hmm. uncomfortability is generally when we're making our best progress, you know, security, oh, yeah. comfortableness, you know. And, and so there's, there's, again, there's that balance there, you know, I, I think a little bit of a burning platform and, you know, everyone is really um, maybe a little bit uncomfortable in mm -hmm. order to get to that point where things are a bit more, um, uh, there's longevity in the role mm -hmm. uh, is important, but, you know, certainly fear for me is probably the unknown unknown and, you know, knowing that you can affect your journey or your course um, and you can correct whatever is driving that fear probably puts you in a better position to be able to manage that. But, you know, for me, we never do our best work when we're panicked. Um, mm -hmm. when we have that sentiment, you know, we, we don't produce our best results. So I think it's down to the individual or the team or the people around them to make sure that that individual feels comfortably uncomfortable, you know, but ultimately mm -hmm. you don't get to that point where there is that, um, you're running on, you know, adrenaline and, you know, because that's, you know, that's when you don't, you don't make your best decisions, you know, when, when you're emotionally attached to the outcome or fear is driving your decision-making, you're not going to make much progress at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I find it quite interesting because um, I don't know, have you, um, have you ever, uh, oh my goodness, um, have you ever done uh, the personality uh, test, the Kobe score? Have you ever heard of that one, Kobe? Um, no, I've done I've done some Thomas um, PPA tests, but not that particular one. 
Okay, because it's just very interesting. So they say like every, and, you know, they're all the same, you know, the disc, the, the traditional one, whatever. They're all the same, but this one, it, like, it gives you like numbers, like different things. And they say that this is like your, they call it your modus operandi. And they're just like, okay, some people actually do thrive. It's maybe not healthy, but that's their base core. They do make their best decisions when they are in that fight or flight. And so they actually said for people who are like that, they're like, do beat the clock. Like, do. It's like, it's always just so interesting because people are, are so vastly different in what motivates us and, and what gets us to actually move, you know? Some people need a more steady, consistent type of, you know, energy. Some people... And they're like, oh my goodness, uh, uh, you know, I, I have to do this huge presentation or, or whatever. And they like to wait until the last minute to do their slides and it comes out excellent. It's just, it's just very interesting how people work. Yeah, I think if you, you know, we, we use a, a fair amount of um, psychometric tests when we bring a candidate on, especially at a higher level. And mm -hmm. so we can understand their traits, you know, their disc profile and also how do they express themselves under pressure, you know? Yeah. And yeah. so if, if there is that tendency to become super dominant rather than maybe use in, use skills to influence, mm -hmm. you know, we're aware of that. And, you know, we generally have conversations when we onboard individuals to just bring that to their attention. It's not a weakness at all. It's a strength. Mm -hmm. but how do you use it in the right environment, in the right way to influence those around you, you know? So yeah, yeah fear is an interesting one. Um, and, you know, certainly the, the body responds by producing adrenaline, right, which ultimately enables you to deliver that fight or flight. But I think long periods of that um, just probably result in, in burnout, lack of sleep and, and poor judgment. So, you know, yes. maybe brief bouts, fine, but not too much. I like how you kind of stuff to your guns. <laughs> That's yeah, great. And I must ask, as you guys do the disc profile, what's yours? Um, so I'm kind of a, a, a mid-level D, I'm, I'm higher on my influence, and then stability and conscientiousness kind of taper off a little bit, but uh, it was interesting because when, 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 when we went out to find my successor in Europe, um, we had very, very similar personality profile. You know, ultimately we're very different individuals, but um, I think that was good to make a, bit, a seamless transition for everyone in the organization. And then you'll have someone who's in finance. And they're going to have a completely different profile. So there are profiles. What we found was a lot of sales representatives who are high D struggle to sell to physicians because physicians are extremely analytical and they don't want that dominant personality type. Mm. So it's, it's, it's quite interesting how you can, but at the same time, you know, uh, some organizations and even when you look at uh, um, uh, elite level um, pilots like the Red Arrows, they, their final interview is, is beers in the pub for four hours on a Friday, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. it, you know, but um, so each to their own, you know, whatever works for you. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and by the way, I'm an ID as well. <laughs> so well, I'm, I'm an ID as well, but on the inside, I have the SC because certain, certain people, physicians, I'm an acquired taste. Um, <laughs> but okay, so, you know, um, I wanted to ask you about this because, you know, you're obviously a very productive person and, you know, there's, you know, that book called The 12 Week Year. And there's a quote from that book that says, like, annualized thinking and planning more often than not leads to less than optimal performance. 
So I wanted to ask you your opinion on that, you know, because for business owners, like I feel like, you know, like you said, you know, what are the, because you're working on a very macro scale, but, you know, you have these like closely held businesses that you're working with and just your advice on that, you know, what's your take on, you know, time management, execution and results? Do you think you should put it into a smaller um, window to just like get it done? Or do you think the 12 month year is 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 a good thing? What is your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you know, since, you know, in, in the last six years of my professional journey, I've certainly learned the value of having a very well thought out budget and forecast. And so this is just me as someone who's running an organization and everything speaks to that because ultimately you've got, um, there are relationships you need to manage within the organization and you're accountable to stakeholders. And so, you know, for me, it's really understanding your forecasting and your planning and your budget, your capital allocation and things like that. And then really working back from there and going, how am I going to help the organization to deliver this? And then it's talking with your key people, every single one of those departments, you know, working on their department mental plan. Mm-hmm. And that departmental plan talks to the strategic objectives of the organization and they're able to execute those strategic objectives through their department and the stakeholders within that department. And then when I look at my role, ultimately my role is to serve the organization and to empower our people and remove all obstacles or challenges for them. My time management really comes down to separating my work from what's tactical and what's strategic. Um, as someone who is um, you know, a, a senior level individual within the corporation, I try not to involve myself in in tactical granular work. Um, I sometimes disappoint some stakeholders because I might be delayed on an email response, but I look at the impact effort matrix of what I get involved in. And I always ask myself, really, am I truly serving the organization by doing these tasks? Some of the times, you know, I might run down to FedEx and spend two hours in a car because I'm helping an individual in the office get something out to a physician which needs to go urgently. Do I think that's a good use of my time? No, but I also, I'm happy to, I don't also sweat the small stuff. So there's some things that come into my remit. I will tend to try and focus on, you know, what are my core objectives for the day? Let me prioritize those and get those done first. And I think we can just become a slave to our emails where ultimately, and the more emails you send out, the more you're going to get back. Unfortunately, a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think for, for me, my general, um, the way I try and frame my week and my day and my quarter is to really look at what am I delivering for the organization that's strategic? How am I helping to move the company forward and, and align my activities with the global strategic objectives of the corporation? And ultimately, at the top of that sits our big, hairy, audacious goal, which is to become the number one physician dispensed skincare brand in in by 2030 on the planet and so it sounds like you've read and I, I saw your Jordan Peterson books on your Instagram so well done and um, you know everyone needs that North Star right and once you know what that North Star is you are able to sort your activities and your objectives underneath that and then organize your day your space your life and your month a little bit better. Yeah, and I and I think those are you know all all you know great pieces of advice for planning because what stuck out to me from what you were saying there was you know the difference between you know the strategic and then the, the you know the tactical goals and I think a lot of um, you know because you're dealing on a macro level like you know a, a big level but I think what happens with many you know uh, 
physicians, physician owned practices and, and many, um, you know, PA or nurse led practices is that they get very bogged down in the tactical side of things. And they don't ever get to look at their business and say, okay, what is the overall big goal? Because they, they walk in and the next thing they know, they're, they have to take care of 23 faces or, 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 or 23 clients, whatever it is, each and every single day. And they get burnt out because instead of saying, I'm going to outsource some of this and I'm just going to focus on, you know, have some time for strategic you know, they don't, they don't, I don't see a lot of them making a lot of time for strategic thinking in their practices. Yeah. And I think it's all about the right players fulfilling the right function. You know, you know, I love sporting analogies. You know, you look at the all blacks, um, most successful sporting franchise in the history of competitive um, sport, ultimately, even at Olympic level. And, um, you know, it's a rugby team from a small island, you know, and, uh, and this group of individuals, um, you know, you, you talked about knowing yourself, you know, they, they ultimately understand what their purpose is on the pitch. They play in formation. They understand very intimately where their job begins and ends. And, you know, if you're going to, if the, if the, if the team you're playing against is going to score a try, it means your defense is not very good, right? If you can't score a try, your offense is not very good. And if you're playing out of position, more likely the competing team are going to score a try against you, not just notch up some points. So I think it's all about trying to play in formation, recognizing what you're good at and what you're not good at. And then also your leadership being able to put you in those right positions, because sometimes if someone's not doing not thriving in their role, that they're not, they might not be bad for that. They might not, their skills and traits might be excellent, but it might just be they're in the wrong position on the field at that time, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I and I love that playing your position. And so now getting more into um Illumiere MD and all these wonderful products. And I totally try them and they are good. Fantastic today, Leslie. Skin's look skin looks glowing. Congratulations. Glowing, yes. I do use my Illumiere MD guys. This is not an advertisement. They don't pay me to say any of this, but I'm just letting you know. <laughs> but good, good genetics and good skincare products. Well done. Yeah, so you know, so I know when I look at Illumia, they they took the they took the you know descript, descriptors of clean, corrective, and committed. So can you unpack that a little bit more for our listeners who may not have any, um, they've never heard of Illumia MD before? Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think it was important for us to really distill down. In an extremely saturated market, what we bring. And if someone said, "Oh, I'm thinking of starting a skincare line and bringing to the U.S.," I'd say, you know, put your money under your bed and save it for a rainy day. Because really, you have to be extremely competitive. You have to bring something different. So for us, it, it really we've distilled it down to the three C's. And you know, corrective for us um, is really therapeutic levels of actives and meaningful dosages into well thought out products that um, deliver a specific function. And we are able to express the very best of those particular ingredients in terms of the way we work with our vendors and suppliers. An example would be, for example, our Everactive CNE, which is one of our hero products. We're one of the first companies to put 2.7 grams of ascorbic acid into a contained separate chamber, which the patient activates at home. You have a pH of 2.4. 
2.7 grams at 15%, which is the gold standard into a designer peptide with vitamin E as well. It's an award-winning product. And so, you know, we took a concept um, that was very difficult to execute on that no one had been able to achieve before was ultimately the, uh, the full stabilization of allascorbic acid um, in its purest form ongoing. And so that's the corrective element of our product line. Um, the clean, I think it's, it's interesting at the moment, it feels like a little bit of a diluted term because there are so many brands, you know, OTC, DTC, um, and um, non-physician dispense brands that are talking about clean. I think it's maybe become a little bit diluted that um, we started by purely manufacturing things like uh, physical only or mineral-based sunscreens. We never put chemicals into our sunscreens. It's not because we have an opinion. We just want to remove ourselves from that conversation if and when it happens about potentially octanoxate, octobenzone, octoquinine not being that tolerated, um, not being tolerated that well by the system. So the, the, um, the corrective part is really around the best products in the best dosages delivered in the, in, the, in the best way. And then the clean component is about us making smart choices and, and practicing purposeful exclusion about what we choose not to put in our product line. Our product line is formulated to EU standards, which means that we have to um, put to one side 1,328 ingredients, which the FDA deemed to be appropriate in skincare. We only have 11 ingredients and the FDA is ruling on cosmetic regulation is 80 years old. So to some degree, it's up to the industry to self-regulate. You know, there are some things which we find um, unacceptable, like putting retinol palmitate in a sunscreen to increase the SPF when we all know that retinol shouldn't be applied during the day. And so we've been, um, you know, our, our, um, the guiding light for us and our why is we don't do what's easy, we do what's right. And so that drives everything at our company. And so we have corrective, we have clean, and then the last C is committed. And we really feel there's an opportunity to, in a very robust fashion, truly support physicians in a way which means that they are custodians of the patient journey, right? They can take that patient all the way through an ongoing skincare regimen and keep those fragile bonds of the patient intact when they're not in the practice, when they're not having their Botox, their fillers, their capital equipment treatments. And skincare forms that, that, that important connection with the patient. And so we've chosen to ensure that from the outset, we are singular in our focus. We are not an omni-channel brand and our brand promise guarantee says that if your registered Illumia MD patient purchases Illumia MD from anyone but yourself, we will actually compensate you the lost margin from that transaction and the patient. And I think that, um, I don't think that any other brand in the space would be able to comfortably commit to that. So we've been very um, purposeful in protecting the channel, anti-diversion technologies, which we have created and patented ourselves, which means that we can truly control the skincare line where it goes and keep it in the hands of the physician and ensure that, in, that physicians ultimately are the benefactors of their hard work. But this also parlays into the patient's results because the physicians are taking the patient on that guided journey, you know, and these are extremely educated healthcare professionals who should be um, ultimately 
the mentor and the hero's journey and take that patient um, on the pathway to unparalleled results, you know? Yeah, definitely. And, and, I, and I love how you guys have that kind of promise and that commitment that you make to, you know, um, your, your clients that if they're going to um, buy, if their patients buy from somewhere else, you know, you guys are going to actually compensate them for that. And that's a, that's a really big promise. And if you were to say- It has to hurt, right? If you break it, it's got to hurt. Otherwise, it's pointless. Exactly. And so I, I was going to ask a weird question. I'm not sure if you know the stat. If you don't know it, it's fine. But what percentage do you think of promises have you had to keep, um, you know, say in the past year? None. None. Um, so our we have not been in a position where our brand has appeared on an e-commerce platform that is not of our choosing. So we are not on any large e-tailer sites. We never will be. And our anti-diversion technology is undefeatable. It's the first of its type. And we pioneer the technology. So there is a lot of Illumina MD product out there. And to date, we have not had a physician come to us and say, I'm not happy. My patient is purchasing elsewhere. I want to invoke your brand promise guarantee. It hasn't happened, but the day it does, we'd be more than happy to compensate that individual. And when we bring the product uh, back into our warehouse, we'll able to, we'll be able to understand who we sold that product to, which is which is vital. Wow, and that's really excellent that you guys have that promise and you have those things in place and that technology. Um, so, you know, I, I know you speak about physician a lot, and you guys talk about, you know, physician-led practices, you know, however, there's some really huge med spas around the world, and of course, in the United States as well, so like, um, you know, are you guys kind of like, um, so how much do you guys get into the physician associate run places, the, um, the um, nurse practitioner run places, because, you know, many of them have full practice authority in many states now, 26 or 27 now. So are you finding that um, more med spas are kind of reaching out to um, get their hands on, you know, these products for their patients? You know what, we absolutely, we are very diverse in the um, categorization or who we will work with within the channel. As long as there's some medical or clinical governance, um, we absolutely um, will be more than happy to work with that business as a partner. And um, as long as they respect the fact that we want to keep the product within the channel and ultimately we're helping for physicians, medispas, dermatologists, plastic surgeons, physician assistants, RNs, whoever it may be, who are leading these businesses or running these businesses to support each other. It was interesting because I was having a conversation with someone the other day and they said, oh, on your business platform, on your e-commerce channel, can I apply a discount for my patients? And I said, um, "Why? Aren't, can you talk to me about the psychology of that question? And she said, well, it's because that's what patients expect. And I said, well, for the first time, you have really have the opportunity to uphold your margin, uphold the integrity of your business and pay yourself what you're worth in the transaction. Um, and it, it's no secret that, you know, wherever we go, whatever we buy, there is a margin in it for either the shop, the retailer, whoever's selling it to us. That's not rocket science, right? So the fact that a physician should be making money off skincare or a Medispa or a PA or an RN 
really is, 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 is completely tolerated by the patient. And so, but the more advice I can give you, the more um, I can help to curate the products for you and advise you and assess your skin. And really the art of the consultation is what we're looking to restore. Because, and I heard it the other day from someone who I was talking to, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna claim this phrase, but we've seen the death of expertise. And um, yeah, I love that. I was just like, wow. Um, so, you know, for me that, that really we are here to, to re-empower that expertise, you know? And, you know, ultimately there's been a 50.7% increase that brands have seen throughout COVID, right? And some brands have seen up to a 426% increase in e-commerce. So who owns the patient? Um, who is working with the patient now? And is the patient just advocating for themselves? You know, so really for us, it's making sure that we put the, whoever it is, whoever the, 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 the clinical governance of that practice is or the aesthetician, the medical aesthetician, back in the driver's seat. So when they have a consultation, we are re-empowering those expertise. And we are ensuring that that patient always 100% guaranteed comes back to that provider for that future recommendation. And, and I think that's great because, you know, we're not going to name any products on the show, but, you know, uh, there are a lot of other brands where you can buy it in the practice the first time and then you go online and you're going to just get it at a discount somewhere else. However, you know, with the depth of expertise that you talked about, I, I think that's a, an important, you know, it all comes down to the consultation and we see the dilution in the industry, you know, um, people are just, just, you know, um, like where has the luxury gone? Like uh, 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 a doctor or a nurse practitioner or, or whatever, or they go to school for so many years to get this expertise, not to mention all the trainings that they go to continuing education every year to stay sharp, to make sure that they're, you know, um, having good client outcomes. And, and, and the fact that there are many practices that are allowing their clients to govern that conversation, govern what's being done with their face in the name of beauty is, is, is atrocious. I think that ultimately the physician channel, be it med spa, has become the elegant marketing mechanism and the clinical legitimization vehicle for very large companies. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we are certainly here to acknowledge that investment in education, um, in bricks and mortar practice. You know, it doesn't come cheap running a practice. And there is an immense amount of work. You know, you talk about like a CEO's journey or a president's journey, whatever, it's, it pales into insignificance compared to the challenges that these business owners face. And for us, the very least a skincare brand can do is to make sure that we honor that journey and we ensure that we empower those providers to keep that patient, keep that patient engagement. And the statistic is 68% of second purchases of personal care products are placed online. And if you look at that compounding revenue over five years, if you're seeing 500 patients a year, and those patients can continue to purchase from you, that's two and a half thousand transactions, right? At a cadence of maybe six per year. So you're talking in excess of 15,000 transactions at $150 each or $250 each. 
the building you rent, you should have bought cash and it should have come from your skincare providers. So for me, there's been, a, there's been a death of expertise. There's also been an abandonment of the physician channel. And ultimately, Alimia MD is here to create a renaissance in the skincare industry and give these practices and these providers what they need and what they deserve. Yeah, definitely. And, and, I, and I really respect that. And, and so kind of um, wrapping down here, for those, so, you know, coming from the business side and everything, I just want to ask you, what would be your one piece of advice for, you know, there's some of the listeners who may still be in school for this type of stuff, or they're in a private, someone else's private practice, or they're working for the hospital, and they're like, oh, I want to do, I want to kind of change my, my area of expertise or, or what have you. So what would be your piece of advice for those who want to start their own independent, you know, medical aesthetic businesses? Um, you know, I, I think you need to understand what your individual success looks like and then work it back from there. And success means different, different things to different people. Um, and so once you understand it, and you might be too, too junior in your career um, to understand really what that looks like yet. So if you want to start your own practice, um, my advice would be really to understand what you're able to differentiate yourself on, right? What can you truly be the best in your region at, for starters, right? What is your economic engine? What drives your business, right? What's going to empower that growth and that profitability as you grow your business? Um, and then ultimately, what are you passionate about? You know, and if you couple all those three things together, um, they will converge on a delta of purpose, which you can really focus on. And but also confront the brutal facts, understand, you know, have a deep understanding of your numbers, hire a great accountant, right? And really understand what it's gonna take and exercise extreme fiscal prudence, you know? Um, and, and don't be too attached with growth because growth sucks cash and it can kill your business. So, you know, are you um, attached to having five practices? You might make more profit with one. Your life may be simpler. You might have more quality time with your family. So what is it that you want? Work it back from there. Understand what you can truly be the best in your region at. Differentiate your business. Understand your numbers with clarity. And also understand who you're working with. If it's a business partner, make sure you have a proper shareholders agreement in place. If you've done a prenup, you should probably do a shareholders agreement. You know, um, and, and understand that working relationship, you know, what is it that your partner wants in the business and um, and ultimately then understand what your mutual success looks like and then work back from there. So um, and a lot of people I feel are delusional about understanding profit and where, where a dollar comes from. You know, when I first started my business, I had a little whiteboard up in my wall, you know, and I thought if I could do ten thousand dollars of revenue this month, I'd be a rich man, you know. Uh, well, I was sorely mistaken. So, you know, understand what it takes to, to make a profit, to make your margin, what is your EBITDA, what are your net contributions, um, and then really understand how much capital you've got to work with and how you're going to allocate that capital within the business and, and, and why people should come to work for you and why patients could come, should come to see you as well and then be vocal about that and tell that story. Wow, that is such excellent advice. You guys got like a mini MBA here today. <laughs> <laughs> 
I love it. That is so great. Oh my God, Don. Thank you um, again so much for, you know, coming on the podcast and taking some time out of your afternoon to, you know, talk to our listeners today. And everyone wants to know, how can we find, you know, Olumie MD on social media, on, on the web? Let us know. No, I appreciate that. Um, uh, at Illumia MD USA and uh, IllumiaMD.com. And uh, my professional, personal Instagram is so poor compared to yours, Leslie. I'm not even going to give it out. Um, so I'm just living in your shadow. And one day, um, and it was so funny because I did a post the other day and it was actually my marketing manager that did it for me. And one of our team was like, look at you, Don, getting all tech savvy. I was like, it wasn't even me. So, um, yeah, but definitely um, hit us up on AlimiMDUSA and um, AlimiMD.com. We do actually have a find a part, um, we have a find a physician locator in there. So if you're a patient, potential patient, you're looking for a physician, you can connect with a physician on our finder. Uh, but also if you're a, a physician, a med spa owner, dermatologist, plastic surgeon, um, provider, and you may be interested in working with us, we have a become a partner form on our website on AlimiMD.com. And we'll send you out some products. You can try them. And uh, we just ultimately want to offer an elevated experience to all of our partners um, and make sure that we, we empower every stakeholder with innovation. So That is so excellent. And guys, as usual, I'll have everything that he talked about linked in the show notes um, so you guys can go and check them out online. So again, Don, thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you for making time, Leslie. <laughs> Thanks, Don. Like what you heard? Please leave us a review. I appreciate you listening and your support. Follow us on Instagram at Plan Life Happens and comment on this episode's post. Also, I appreciate your feedback and ideas. Improving is the name of the game. I'm Leslie Tracy, your host. Thanks for listening.